Since it is Mother's Day, I, I, this is one of those times and I like to go ahead and break from our uh, typical series. Normally we are preaching through the, the Gospel of John, but we're going to take a break from that today and, and look to our mothers. Uh, you have, uh, should have a, a, a bookmark that has basically the outline head, heading points uh, for today's message. You can see I take that word mother and turn it into an acrostic and uh, we'll be building on those themes from the book of First Thessalonians. As you can see, it says mother. I could have said birthing parent, but that would be, it wouldn't fit on a, on a bookmark. So mother, we'll stick with mother, I think. We'll stick with mother. I do want to say, okay, I selected the titles and the passages, um, but I do want to put in a word of thanks for the aesthetic, uh, artistic improvements uh, done by Chloe's mother. And so uh, we're, we're, I hope you enjoy that. Uh, all of you mothers will, I hope, especially have that. Maybe stick that in your Bible or something and be reminded of our appreciation for you and God's appreciation and uh, blessing on you. And the rest of you who can take that, that might remind you to be thankful for the mother you have had, the mother you have, mothers you have in your life, and also to be uh, prayerful for them. Well, let's look to the text. Our, our passage this Lord's Day is in 1 Thessalonians. There are several verses that we're going to um, consider uh, uh, from the book of Thessalonians. I guess before we do, I should you know, even think about what, what do we think about mothers and how do we think. And um, you know, There's always taking surveys. There's, it seems like there's surveys for everything. Well, apparently some teachers uh, quiz their children, ask their, uh, the children in their class you know, um, some questions about mothers. One of the questions that was asked, maybe it, was, it must have been a Sunday school class, why did God give you your mother and not some other mom? One answer was, we're related. <laughs> Another two, God knew she likes me a lot more than other people's moms like me. <laughs> Someone asked, what kind of little girl was your mom? One answer was, my mom has always been my mom and none of, none of that other stuff. Another one answered, I don't know because I wasn't there, but my guess would, would be pretty bossy. <laughs> Another one said, they say she used to be nice. <laughs> what does your mom do in her spare time? Mothers don't do spare time. <laughs> to which every mother announces, amen. <laughs> but as I said, we're in Thessalonians, and and Paul's, I'm going to select some verses out from Thessalonians to kind of keep us together there. They don't all directly speak to mothers, but I think we can learn, the mothers can learn from these points. But just a reminder, the Apostle Paul was, was called by, he, he was a persecutor of the brethren. Uh, God reached out to him, Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ himself, appeared to Paul, uh, called him to saving faith, appointed him as an apostle, and Paul went out and preached the gospel. And one of the places he went was uh, Thessalonica. After his, in his uh, second missionary journey, he, he entered into Europe. He started in Philippi. Remember, that was the place where uh, he was beaten and imprisoned. Uh, and God's uh, church was established. But as a result of the persecution there, he went from, uh, from Philippi to Thessalonica. And that's where the Thessalonians are. And so I thought it might be helpful just to read how the church there was established. So I'm going to read from Acts chapter 7. Now when they had passed through Amphipola and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, 
where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into uh, into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and die and rise again from the dead and saying, this um, Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from their from the marketplace and gathering a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And the text goes on to describe how Paul had to leave Thessalonica after. So you notice he was three weeks in the synagogue. There, uh, uh, the mob action happened. So when we think of mobs rising up in uh, our anger uh, today, that's nothing new. The mob action happened, and so Paul had to leave Thessalonica. If he was three weeks in the synagogue, how long was it before this all happened? Most people suggest he couldn't have been in Thessalonica more than six weeks. And eventually he, had to, he made his way down to uh, Corinth. But, but he received word, so some of his uh, other uh, assistants came along later and filled in uh, the word on what was happening in Thessalonica, and, and he writes this letter in response in, in the first three verses of First Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, so those who are with him, are, are sent greetings to the church of Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and Father. What's interesting is, again, this is weeks after the gospel came to months, maybe a couple of months by the time he's made the travels down, but there was a great concern. He was there only for a few weeks. Many came excitedly to Jesus Christ in faith, Jew and Gentile alike. But then the question is, how are they going to face up to the fire persecution so quickly? And so when the word reached him and said, hey, they are doing great. (laughs) Paul started doing cartwheels. You know, that's what you do back then. Paul was so excited. He was thrilled. Uh, Not only are they hanging on, they're thriving. And so he writes this letter to encourage them to address some of the issues that were coming up. But um, in terms of our, our, uh, our Mother's Day message, that first point there is, Making mention, we see in First Thessalonians chapter one verse two, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. See, Paul opens this letter uh, that's been recently established and going through a difficult time, and and he says to them, "I want you to know we're praying for you, we're encouraging you, we we are uh, excited for you." But but we see uh, like a mother's care for a church. Uh, church and so this is to me an example for the you mothers um, what should be your one of the first things that's in your heart towards your children is faithful prayer notice how he describes some of his attitudes and actions uh, as he's 
in verse 2. He says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, he mentions words like we're thankful, always praying uh, for you all. And so there's just this fullness of, of gratitude and thankful prayer. We'll talk about the gratitude later, but what Paul is saying is when he prays, he has a heart filled with gratitude. And notice that he says it's always and for all of you. Um, he, he's faithfully, consistently praying for them. And so how do you do that? Now, mothers, you know, you, you should mostly be able to think through how many your children and be able to pray for them by name. How did he pray for all of them? He wasn't there that long. How did he do that? Well, um, it may very well be that he had, you know, he eventually over time because he says whenever we pray, he'll, he'll mention this to others. We pray for you. So did he develop a list? And, of course, back then that might have been in scroll form. Did he, did, did he kind of keep a list and was he praying for them and thinking them? Or maybe you've done what sometimes I'll do is you'll just, you'll just think through a group kind of face by face. Uh, if the church if, of Thessalonica was anything like ours, then he, he could think through. You can just imagine him looking out over the congregation he knows, and he's imagining where each one sits. Have you noticed that? We don't have a seating assignment, but everyone has a seating assignment. You know, don't you notice? Because I've talked to someone who will say, well, did you uh, talk to so-and-so? Well, oh, and who's that? Well, you can describe where they are. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're over, you know. Uh, and so maybe Paul would just kind of walk through the group. I don't know. But, but the point is, even after that short period of time, with his heart of compassion and love, he prays for them, specifically. And he says, we're praying always. For, all, for you all, but always. And that, that literally, that word means unceasingly. So as he talks about what in our prayers, that would suggest whenever they have a, a formal time of prayer together, whether that maybe be over a meal or just gathering to pray, they would specifically pray through them. But the idea of unceasingly, you know, Paul was a, a teacher, an evangelist, but he was also, he supported himself um, by, by his tent-making business. And so, so what he's saying is, unceasingly, whenever his mind would drift, um, his, his mind would drift to the people of Thessalonica, and he'd pray for them. Maybe remembering conversations he had, struggles, different ones. Maybe remembering how one uh, really was anxious. Now, how can Jesus be the Messiah? Jesus died. Messiah is supposed to reign in glory. And, and as that person, have you ever noticed if you've done teaching or ministry when you're trying to explain something, and all of a sudden, you can just see by their eyes, the light is on. They get it. And so maybe he was remembering some of those and praying for them as they wrestled, or maybe concerns they had, pressures they had, whatever it might be. But he says, unceasingly, always praying. So when Paul is talking to these believers that he loved with all his heart, first thing he mentions is, I'm praying for you. I don't think that that's just an empty word to him. I, I think that reflects his heart. Sometimes that's a you know, quick thing, you know, uh, thoughts and prayers, whatever. No, Paul said, that's coming from my heart. And he's praying. Mothers, uh, part of your calling is to be a, a prayer warrior for your children, for your family. I've often said that uh, I wonder if God created the family to keep us uh, humble and dependent. Humble because 
no human being can change a heart. Only God can do that. We, we, when we see our families and, the, and, and uh, their needs, we recognize who's able, who's sufficient for this. God is. So it keeps us humble, and it keeps us dependent. And so we pray and look to God for wisdom and grace. And so, mothers, as, as you think of your family as they come to you, let me just encourage you unceasingly in those moments, turn your heart and pray for them. You may not know what's going on in their life or where they might be, but you can pray for them, and God knows exactly what's going on in their heart and where they are. So one of the most important influences you can have is prayer. As I mentioned, tonight we'll be having our message on Monica, the mother of St. Augustine. You know St. Augustine is very important. He invented Texas grass. <laughs> or maybe not. Maybe you need to come back tonight and find out. But I'll mention a little bit about St. Augustine. But truly he was one of the most influential Christian thinkers of the earth's first several centuries of the Christian faith. And, and he talks about the influence of a praying mother who prayed and prayed and prayed for her prodigal son before he came to faith. And so, uh, mothers, pray. Pray by name for them. Specific for their needs as much as you know, but especially for their walk with the Lord. You know, pray that they might know the Lord, that they might follow the Lord, that they might have a heart that, that, that seeks to please and honor the Lord. Another good way to pray is for the um, for the friends and companions they have, that they'll be a positive influence. But pray. So mothers, making mention is how Paul describes it in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2. Now, in verses chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 uh, of 1 Thessalonians, Paul uh, speaks of obedience. Finally then, brethren, we urge you and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And so as Paul is kind of drawing, now notice that's chapter, there's five chapters. So chapter four, is, verse one, is just almost in the halfway of the book. And so this is, a, this is where pastors and preachers get the idea that once you get to about the halfway place in the sermon, you can start saying, finally. Uh, and it doesn't really mean you're ending. <laughs> so Paul is saying, but, but as he's speaking, he says, I want you to remember the importance of obedience. I urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you abound more and more. And what he's just described is, I've, I've been hearing of your love for one another. And he says, that's great. But more and more. We never reach the goal in the Christian life. So, mothers, if you're praying for a child that's walking with the Lord, growing in the Lord, keep praying that they'll grow more and walk closer. Just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So notice what he says. is He's talking about their walk with the Lord. He talks about obedience to commandments. Obedience, commandments, rules. Those are almost... Uh, uh, Words that are to be forbidden in today's culture. Rules? Obedience? I can't describe the Christian life. When Paul's talking to them, he says, I am praying and reminding you of the importance of obedience to the commandments I gave you. 
And so as he says that, he says, um, obey. Part of living for the Lord is obedience. Matter of fact, you know, you might say, well, is that something just to Paul? In the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ said that. In John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Again, so often we say, wait a minute, this is the grace age. Grace, 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 yes. But also obey, obey, obey. And so one of the aspects that he talks about then is obedience. Notice in verse 1, Finally, brethren, we urge you, exhort you in the Lord, that you should abound more and more. Notice the words there. He urges and exhorts. And so, mothers, this is an example of, of how, you know, what the needs of your children are. And your grandchildren. And at all stages. He's talking to, primarily to adults. But he says to them, we exhort you. We urge you. And so you hear in that uh, an earnestness, a diligence in how he's reaching out. And if you will, a passion, you know, he's, 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 you hear his, his hunger and longing that they might walk in a way that's obedient to the Lord. So notice, too, that and those are present tense imperatives. Uh, what, what he's saying is it's, it's, it's not one and done. He doesn't just say, oh, well, you know, I told you to obey the Lord. And this, he leaves it at that. It's a constant urging. It's a constant uh, exhortation. And the ex- that word exhort, and we'll talk about it even more later, but it has the idea of to encourage, to challenge, to correct. It can be used in all those ways. And mothers, isn't that the nature of, of urging uh, a, you know, your children along? Uh, sometimes that's an encouragement. Sometimes that's a challenge to them. Some, that's, a, that's a call and, a, and a, a summons to obedience. But the thing I'm saying, what Paul's modeling for us is, he's hearing good things about Thessalonica, and he keeps wanting to urge them on. Don't ever slack up. Keep growing in the Lord. Keep going in the Lord. Keep obeying the Lord. Mothers, that's the challenge that you're to, to have the same message to your young people, to the children in your life. Know the Lord. Grow in the Lord. Keep moving on in the Lord. Urging and exhorting. Again, it, that takes different forms in, at different stages of life, isn't it? In the earliest stages, it might be just comforting words. It'll be okay. And then after a while, then there's instruction and reminding and reminding and reminding, urging and exhorting. Uh, as, as adulthood proceeds in, he's talking to adults. Uh, you'll see for Monica, well into Augustine's adult life, she was still actively involved in seeking to urge him on to follow Christ, to know Christ. And so what does that look like? Well, that's a challenge. There's the balance of prayer and knowing how to, uh, when to pray and when to speak. But, but, the, but the urge is always there to encourage, to draw, and knowing how to winsomely be an influence, to draw them on to the Lord. 
And maybe the part of that clue is, is, is also what he says here. Just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to, and to please. Uh, in other words, what he was saying is you saw it in our own lives. And so, mothers, one of the greatest ways that you can communicate that is in your own life. As you model what a life of love and obedience for the Lord Jesus Christ looks like. That was something that we'll mention again tonight. Augustine would say of his mother again and again. He, he could see in her, her own life her example. So mothers, as you pray for your children, as you encourage and exhort them to follow the Lord, live it out in front of them. Let them see that what you're calling them to, you're doing or striving to do and growing in. Who's sufficient for such a task? No one, except by God's grace. Well, the next thing on mother is um, the T of thankful. And there I have two verses, 1 Thessalonians 3, 9 and 5, 18. 1 Thessalonians 3, 9 and 5, 18. In 3, 9 we read, For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? Paul, as he thinks about where they are in the Lord, he, he just, he's just overwhelmed with gratitude. What thanks, what, what thanks can we render? How can we, how can we express ourselves? Have you ever been at that place where something in your life is going on and, and, and you're just at a loss of words? How can I possibly express how thrilled, excited, and pleased I am for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? Again, the context is clear what, 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 in, if we read that in chapter 3, verses 8 or 6 to 9. Now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before the Lord? What's he saying? What's, what has him so just overwhelmed with joy, inexpressibly joyful? He has a good report. Again, young, young believers in the fire of persecution. And he's anxiously concerned. Are, will this discourage them? Will this scatter them? Will they walk away from the Lord in the face of all the pressure and persecution around them? And when the word Timothy comes in, have you ever had, maybe you're waiting for a message and all of a sudden there's the phone call or maybe the person comes through the door and, and maybe they want to talk platitudes. You say, stop, just tell me, what's the outcome? And so Timothy says, thumbs up, Paul. And then he starts laying out how they, they're following the Lord, serving the Lord. Instead of resenting what the message Paul brought them, their, their appreciation for Paul. Paul is ecstatic. Why? Because they're walking with the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. Living for the Lord. And that's why I say, what words can I have to express that? It's, it's similar to what Paul, John expresses in 3 John uh, verse 4. Or if you like John, 3 John chapter 1, verse 4. If you find chapter 2, would you please let me know? 
There's only one chapter. But, but 3 John 4, he says, John says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Isn't that interesting? Not just believe truth, but we walk in truth. And that was believing and our life is conformed to God's truth. There's that concept again. A lived and obedient faith. And he says when, when he hears about the Thessalonians, they're embracing, they're hanging on to, they're living and obeying the faith. So mothers, when you see God's grace at work in the lives of your children, are you rejoicing? We should be looking for the fruits of salvation in their lives. We should be praying that they know the Lord and follow him. Notice Paul's joy. Paul's gratitude shows his priorities. On some occasions, people give gifts. And if you show all your gratitude and joy for the bow and not the gift, that might be a little disconcerting. What, does Paul, what, what could Paul have been saying? You mean they're still alive? You mean they haven't been um, uh, imprisoned? You mean, notice he doesn't speak of their safety. He speaks of their walk with the Lord. What is the greatest longing and urgent desire you have for their, your children? For some, it's wealth, status. Um, we can't deny the importance of health. But what does Paul pray? Most of all, what gives him joy? Their walk with the Lord. If, if, um, if I can give an example, the ladies watched a video Wednesday night, right, on Johnny Erickson Tata. I haven't seen it, but I've seen enough of Johnny Erickson Todd, and I mentioned before when she visited Dallas, we had a chance to visit with her a little bit while she sat there and at an art exhibit she was doing, and, and she spoke of her, her pain. I can't remember now if she had had her cancer already, or, but, but she ta- spoke about the fact that she had constant, constant pain. It just never went away. And if you ever had pain that won't go away, I've had that for sometimes a couple hours. And I think of those whose pain will not go away. I've had, you know, I've had things that took longer than that. But, but my point is, it can be very discouraging and disheartening. But what most mattered to Johnny was her walk with the Lord. And so in the midst of pain, in the midst of being confined to a wheelchair, there is a radiant joy about her. Because what mattered most to her was her walk with the Lord. So moms, let me just encourage you. What is the most urgent, important thing in the life of your child? Their walk with the Lord. Mothers, uh, children, I should say, are those who are maybe some of you are, are giving gifts, sending gifts, cards. Um, if you haven't made those arrangements... Um, shame on you. If you haven't made those arrangements, uh, make up for it. But if I could say, if your mother knows the Lord, the greatest gift you can give to her, the greatest gift by far, 
is a radiant walk with Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm rejoicing because from the eyes, and from, from what Timothy tells me, I'm using his eyes and his ears, you're walking with the Lord. It's demonstrable. It's evident. It's manifest. And he says, I am ecstatically grateful. Moms, are we communicating that to our kids? For those of us whose mothers are watching, are we giving them the joy of seeing a life that's in joyful obedience to Jesus Christ? In verse 5, 5, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's a popular verse because it's so broad, isn't it? In everything give thanks. That doesn't leave anything out, does it? In the midst of joy, in the midst of wealth, in the midst of success, in the midst of pain, in the midst of loss, in the midst of suffering. In everything, give thanks. John Calvin said, Gratitude will have this effect upon us, that the will of God will be the grand sum of our desires. What he's saying is, if our desire is God's glory, and if we, then, then, our, then whatever may come, we will delight that God's glory may be seen. David Jeremiah said this, Thanksgiving is empowered by God and focused on God. And God says that when you and I are controlled by his spirit, this is based on Ephesians 5, 8, 5, 18, we will be grateful people, thankful for what we have, anxious to share it with others, always overwhelmed with gratitude for God's goodness to us. William Law, writing centuries ago, made a very good point when he said this, Would you like to know who is the greatest saint in the world? It isn't he who prays most or fasts most. It isn't he who gives most. But it is he who always is thankful to God, who receives everything as an instrument of God's goodness and has a heart always ready to praise God for his benefits. The greatest saint is the one, he said, who is always thankful. And so gratitude is, is, in Ephesians 5.18, that's an evidence of the filling of the Spirit. And so, moms, as we trust in the Lord and are, are seeing his hand, rejoicing. So recognize God, God's blessing in your home. And that kind of, can, can even be in a difficult time. And recognizing, and when you see God's grace through the hardship, when you see the hardship as a time to depend on God's grace. So, moms, radiate that, that grateful spirit. Radiate that grateful spirit. Uh, the next one I have on here is the H of a humble servant. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 to 7. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 to 7. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, 
just as a, nurture, as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. When Paul wants to describe his life, because what he's saying is, you saw our lives. We could have, as apostles, just demanded obedience. We could have, we could have you know, laid out there our authority. But he said, what did we do? And said we were humble servants. But when he wants to describe his life as, as a gentle, humble servant, he cannot find a better illustration than a nursing mother. No, no greater example of one who is humble and gentle than a mother. It truly is a beautiful sight to see a mother lovingly, gently, encouraging their baby. And Paul says, that's how we were among you. Mothers, you display God's glory when you nurture your children with gentle humility. You are a picture of God's glory. That's why Paul would say, look at me. I want to look like them. Nurturing with gentle humility. If you think about it, uh, to be honest, you know, I don't know, please no loud amens, but it's not always easy uh, to gently, humbly nurture your children. Uh, at some stages in life, uh, it's, it's because of the lack of sleep that those dear ones bring to your life. Uh, sometimes it's the great concern that they might have as a time of perhaps, is this an illness? Is this... But sometimes, and sometimes it can be just challenging and difficult. And yet the more you trust on the Lord, he can give you the grace to have that humble gentleness that so pleases and displays the Lord. And if you think about it, God's grace enabling us enables us to be like Jesus Christ. What did he say? I am gentle and meek. He is our good shepherd. And the shepherd is the one who gently and kindly and lovingly cares for his sheep. Now, Paul, when he says, I was gentle among you, then so here's, here's the other side of that. That doesn't negate his authority. He says, I still was an apostle. And so he lived with a gentle humility, but that doesn't deny his leadership, his authority. You know, gentleness is not um, uh, a denial of those things. It's, it, but it says authority, leadership, even correction to be done in a gentle and humble spirit. And part of that humility comes with, uh, I'm in authority, but I'm in submission to someone else. And so Paul would also always say, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. What he meant by that was, I answer to Jesus Christ. I have a responsibility to you. And so that is how you can exercise authority with humility when you are saying, I am just an intermediary. Uh, I have delegated authority. And if I'm not faithful to give you leadership, if I'm not faithful to give you direction, if I'm not faithful to give you correction, then I'm not being faithful to Jesus Christ. So it's not that, you know, you have, it's, it somehow offended me, but I'm concerned for what God would have you do. So that, that spirit of humble so, uh, gentleness but still, like the word meek means, it's, it's strength under control. Uh, number five here, and by the way, mothers, aren't you blessed? Uh, normally I have a three-point sermon, but just for you, it's six. Uh, number five is uh, an encourager, an encourager. This comes from 1 Thessalonians 5.11. 1 
1 Thessalonians 5.11. Mothers are to be encouragers. He says, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. And so notice he says, uh, you're, you're doing this already. Let me just encourage you to keep on. Sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes it's not a correction. Sometimes it's not a new direction. But just say, hey, you're doing great. Keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing. That word comfort I mentioned earlier is, uh, you might know sometimes uh, we refer to the Holy Spirit as God's paraclete. Uh, that's the word here. A para- paraclete or a paraclesis is a calling alongside. Sometimes it is. It's putting an arm around the shoulder and being an encourager. Sometimes it's a, putting an arm uh, around the shoulder and giving correction. Sometimes it's not a, an arm around the shoulder as much as a, a foot to the backside. But, but in other words, sometimes an exhortation. Sometimes it's a challenge. Sometimes it's a word of comfort. So it's a very broad term. But, it, but it's that idea of being an encouragement. Comfort one another, and he says edify. That word edify is a nice Bible term, but sometimes we lose track of what does it mean. It might help you to just remember the word edifice, a large building. The word edify literally means to build up. To, so, so to build up and to, encur- and to comfort and encourage. And as we live that, we teach that. The story is told of a young mother who was sick in bed when her nine-year-old daughter walked in from school. Thinking her mother was asleep, she quietly unfolded the blanket at the foot of the bed and gently tucked it around her mom. The mother stirred and then whispered, It wasn't too long ago I was tucking you in, and now you're covering me. The little girl bending over her mother replied, We take turns. <laughs> that's kind of the, that's a, That probably dropped her fever a couple of degrees there. What? You are watching, you're learning, you're picking up encouragement and edification. Mothers can comfort, challenge, encourage, exhort, all that that word means, and so much more. And the key, though, is not just that, but to build up. We're not just trying to make people comfortable. We're trying to encourage them to grow. That's that word edify. This brings to mind Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Isn't that a great way of, of, of testing our speech? Is it a necessary word? Is it a necessary statement? Is it, is it meant to build up and impart grace? Isn't that a great speech test? Will it build up? Does it impart grace? Or is it just so I can vent my anger? My frustration? Is it meant to tear down? And make someone feel bad? Or is it meant to build up? And impart grace? Moms, what a great test. As you're all through the day seeking how to be an encouragement. And like that little girl that took turns with her mother we need to be doing that with our mothers speaking words that build them up speaking words that impart grace to them sometimes it's hard to find a bishop was uh, once eating at a 
one of those greasy spoon restaurants is what the, the statement is. Went in for breakfast. When the waitress came, she was groggy. And Have you ever bumped into one of those? Just groggy and, and disinterested. And uh, She took his order and he replied, Would you please bring me some ham and eggs and a few kind words? Well, about 15 minutes later, she set the food before him and said, There. He said, What about the kind words? Server looked at him for a moment and then replied, I'd advise you not to eat them eggs. <laughs> well, <laughs> a word of kindness. <laughs> Some kind words to encourage and to edify, to build up, to make better, to make stronger. Oh, how we need that. Isn't that missing uh, from today's cultural conversation? to impart, make sure your words edify and impart grace. Uh, finally, the last one here is uh, number, point number six, a rejoicer. A mother is a rejoicer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. By the way, if you haven't memorized a Bible verse in a while, this would be a good one for you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice always. There you go. I imagine you could get that one memorized today if you really applied yourself to it. Rejoice always. Tell you, why don't we say that together? Rejoice always. Very good. See? I'll bet you could almost, even now, some of you could quote it from memory. Now, this isn't, this rejoicing, this joy, this isn't silly frivolity. You know, let's be silly. But it's a deep-seated gladness in the Lord. It's, and, 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 and true joy isn't the fruit of circumstances. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. It goes on. But, but, but isn't it interesting? The fruit of the Spirit, first one, love. Second one, joy. Where does joy come from? It's God welling up joy in our heart. It doesn't come from our circumstances. It's been said that that's the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness comes from our happenings. Joy comes from who we are in Christ. Elizabeth Elliot said it this way, joy is not the absence of suffering, but the presence of God. That's a good reminder. We will all have suffering in our life. That doesn't mean the joy has to depart. Joy is not the absence of suffering, but the presence of God. Have you ever heard the expression joy, J-O-Y? Jesus, others, yourself? I've often used that expression. One pastor uh, said, uh, put it this way, joy um, means Jesus, O-U. The J stands for Jesus. The Y stands for you. Do you know what the O stands for? Zero. Nothing. What his point is, true joy comes when there's nothing between you and Jesus. I think that might be better. <laughs> Jesus and zero, nothing between you and Jesus. When that's true, you have the greatest joy. And so moms, in times of discouragement, in terms of hardship, whatever they may be, joy is not described, defined, sourced in your circumstances 
It's not the joy is not the absence of suffering and pain. It's the presence of Jesus. And the less there is between you and Jesus, the greater your joy. May I point out too that joy is contagious. Have you ever noticed that our attitudes in general can be contagious? One grumpy person can it can spread. That's a and that seems to be, and there's so much that we can say. You want to talk about pandemic? We've got pandemics of bitterness. We've got pandemics of of anger. We've got pandemics of fear. And those things can spread, can't they? They can spread through a country. They can spread through a church. They can spread through a family. And so mothers, start the infection. Be infectious with your joy. Be contagious with your joy. That's an infection most of us would welcome. Um, children of mothers, infect your mother with joy. Uh, and what's the greatest car, car, source of joy you can give to a Christian mother? Let her see your love, your obedience, that you're a faithful follower, a joyful, faithful follower of Jesus Christ. When a believing mother sees that, she echoes the words of John the Apostle. I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. So mothers, we're praying for you and, pray, and thank you for who you are. As you be, be reminded to make mention, be faithful in prayer for your children, to your family. Be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Be thankful for for all the blessings you see. Be a humble servant in your ministry to your family. Be an encourager and be a, an infectious rejoicer. Do you notice how so much of this is all built in? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you personally know him as Savior? Have you come to the place where you recognize that your greatest problem is not your, your income, it's your sin? Your sin separates you from the holy God, but Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty of your guilt that you might know forgiveness when you trust in him as Savior. And again, I will say it. If you have a believing mother, the greatest gift you could ever give her is your faith and obedience to Jesus Christ. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, give that gift to your mother. Trust him today. If you, whoever you are, have yet to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn your heart to him and walk in that true joy. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for the mothers among us, the mothers in our lives, uh, those that are living, those that have blessed us in the past. Father, thank you for the spiritual mothers, those uh, mature women in our life who have encouraged us and strengthened us. We ask your blessing on them. And Father, we thank you for all this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.